Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, reading today from a message from Martin Luther. Let's visit Luther for a while and see what kind of teachings we can gather from him. Some good stuff I found at the uh, Stillwater's Revival books. You can get the Puritan Downloads at uh, puritandownloads.com and you'll, you'll get messages like this. This is a series of messages that he preached from uh, Trinity Sunday, as it's called, uh, to the Advent season later on. Uh, and it's just one sermon after another. We're on 1 John 3 right now, verses 13 to 18. This is called an exhortation to brotherly love. The epistles and gospels selected for the Pentecost cycle of Sundays have love as their general theme. They deal not only with the love we owe to Christ and God, which is only to be thankful for the unspeakable blessing of forgiveness of sins and salvation through Christ's blood and death, but also of the love that we owe our neighbor. Not a love in return for favors, but one that unceasingly gives, forgives, and works all good, even when unrequited. John here admonishes the Christians to to exercise the virtue of love. Considering the evident rarity of love among men, this admonition is necessary. He particularly warns Christians not to wonder at the world's hatred and desire for their death. Such was the hate of Cain for his brother, of which the apostle has just spoken in 1 John 3. And, and let me stop here and read 1 John 3, Verses 13 to 18, the text for this message. Marvel not, brethren, if the world hateth you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby know we love because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and beholdeth his brother in need, and shutteth up his compassion from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word, and neither with the tongue, but in deed and in truth. The world's hate, it must be admitted, repels love and powerfully obstructs its exercise. It's not surprising, uh, strange, that, that one can hate those who, who love him, isn't it? He's asking a question, I'm sorry, is it not surprising that, that, that one can hate those who love him and, and from whom he has received only kindness? Such wickedness is almost inconceivable, we say. What incentive is there for any to render the world's service when in ingratitude it rewards love with hatred? But let us examine ourselves who are baptized and have received the gospel and confess how we require the supreme love of God in giving us his son. What a beautiful example of glad gratitude we display. For the shame of it, we ought to despise ourselves before God and his angels. And what shall we say of those who will not endure the preaching of the glorious message of God's grace? and blessing, but condemn it as heresy. 
to whom they who seek to serve, uh, to benefit and save the world by declaring the good news, must be, as Paul says, as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things. 1 Corinthians 4.13 Indeed, no criminal receives more wretched and ignominious treatment and execution of which the Pope and his followers are a case in point. While experience has proven this otherwise incredible fact, John vouchsafes the admonition notwithstanding and says, Marvel not, brethren, if the world hateth you. Now, if we are not to wonder at this, is there anything in the world to incite wonder? I should truly think the hearing of a single sermon on the grace of Christ would suffice to bring the world to receive the gospel with intense joy and never to forget the divine mercy and blessing. It would be no wonder should the earth suddenly open and engulf mankind because of his, its, its ingratitude to God who has given his son to become man for the purpose of redeeming us, us condemned mortals from sin and death, and restoring us to life and salvation. Is it not a horrible thing that any man should shun and oppose such a savior and his doctrine even more than he does the devil himself? But what is God's attitude toward such conduct? Well does he say to the Jews, through the prophets, O my people, what have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me, for I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of bondage. And I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and, and Miriam. O my people, Remember now what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him? Remember from Shittim unto Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of Jehovah. That's in Micah 6, verses 3 to 5. And well does Christ say to his ungrateful people, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killeth the prophets, and stoneth them that are sent unto her. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Matthew twenty three thirty seven, As if he would say, I surely did not come to effect your death and condemnation by my message. I'm about to suffer death and, and God's wrath for your sins. I bring you God's endless grace and blessing for time and eternity then why this bitter hatred against me and my message? Since the world hates even God for his kindness, argues John, do not marvel, my beloved, that you suffer the same fate. What does it signify that I show my love by hazarding life and limb to sustain this doctrine of the gospel and help my neighbor. Mine is but a poor, mean, uncouth, offensive love in comparison with the love that led Christ to die for me and to redeem me from eternal death. If God's supreme, unfathomable love fails to awaken the gratitude of the world, what wonder if the world hates you 
for all your kindness. Why will you bring down your fist and, and stamp your foot in anger at such ingratitude? You are yourselves of that race for whom the Son of God had to die. And even were you to die for the gospel, your sacrifice would be as nothing in comparison to the fact that God, for the sake of the world, spared not his own son, but permitted the world to put him to death. But whence arises the world's hatred? John tells us in verse 12 when he mentions the incident of Cain, who he says was of the evil one and slew his brother. And why did he slay him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. An excellent reason indeed for hating. <laughs> the hater and murderer is evil and the benefactor is good. In civil and domestic affairs, it is the, the evildoers and disobedient who incur displeasure and receive punishment and such reward is just. But whenever God has dealings with the world, it shows what a rotten fruit it is by hating, persecuting, and putting to death as evildoers and impostors its very benefactors. This trait it inherits, John tells us, from its ancestor Cain, the great fratricide saint. He's a true picture of the world of all times, and ever its spirit and fashion is patterned after him. When Mother Eve, the dear, godly woman, bore her first son, she declared in her joy and her hope of God's promise of the future seed that should bruise the serpent's head. I've gotten a man with the help of Jehovah. Genesis 4, 1. And she named him Cain, which means obtained, as if she would say, I've obtained the true treasure for she had not before seen a human being born. This was the first precious fruit of man. Over Cain she rejoiced, pronouncing herself blessed. This son was trained in the hope that, that he should be a savior of the future race, a comfort to his brothers and sisters with all their offspring. Nor was he unaware of these proud hopes. Proudly he lorded it over his brother, who in contrast had to bear the ignominious name of Abel, which means nothing or vanity, as if voicing the thought of, of the parent's heart. Alas, this one has no future. Cain is the rightful heir to the blessing that God has promised man. He is Lord and master of his brethren. It's likely, and you understand, my readers and listeners, that uh, this is speculation. But it is likely, says Martin Luther, that the godly father and mother for many years drew their solace from the hope placed in their firstborn son as they looked forward with intensest longing to the redemption from their deplorable fall. Doubtless they, they trained both sons very carefully and instructed them concerning their own sin and fall and the promise God had given them until they were fully grown and had entered into the priestly office. Cain, the firstborn, was particularly zealous in that respect, desiring to be uh, first inasmuch as, as uh, he uh, offered his first fruits of the earth, given by God and obtained by his own labor, 
uh, as he no doubt had seen his father offer. Abel, however, the inferior, the poor shepherd, offered the firstlings of his sheep, given him of God and obtained without effort and toil of his own. Now God, in a wonderful way, manifested his preference concerning the gifts upon the altar. Fire descended from heaven and consumed Abel's offering, but, but Cain's remained. The fire was the sign of God's favor. The text says, And Jehovah had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. That's Genesis 4, 4 and 5. Thereupon Adam and Eve saw that the hope and solace centering in their firstborn son were a delusion. They began to learn the wonderful judgments of God who gave precedence to Abel, the male counterpart of Cinderella, which is all he was in his own sight when he compared himself with his brother. Now Cain, with full confidence in his position, spoiled by the delusion of his parents that as the firstborn he was God's preference, felt himself outraged. His hypocrisy, <clears throat> hitherto masked, comes to the surface. He burns with secret hate against God, with hate and anger against his brother, which he takes no trouble whatever to disguise. <clears throat> the parents rebuke him, but it effects nothing. The flame of his resentment rises higher, and meeting him alone upon the field, he fells him to the ground. Far from contemplating amendment of life or seeking grace from God, he has no mercy upon the only brother he has on earth who has done him no harm whatever. He cannot forgive him and leave him in unenvied possession of the grace of God. Such was the solace and joy poor Adam and Eve lived to experience in their first children. From this time on, their earthly life was fraught with gloom and sorrow, particularly since they could not but see the source of these in their own fall, and they would have pined to death had not God comforted them with another son. For when it became evident that the hope they had placed in Cain was a delusion, and that they were deprived of the sons who, beyond a doubt, possessed the grace of God, they, without another son, would not have known where to look for the solace of the promised seed. Now, note in this man, Cain, is pictured the world in its true characteristic colors. In him, its true spirit stands reflected. Certainly his equal has never been. In him are unquestionably prefigured the very flower, the very quintessence of holiness on earth, the most pious servants of God. On the other hand, that poor, wretched, abject, male counterpart of Cinderella, Abel, well represents the obscure little brotherhood, the church of, of Jesus Christ. She must yield to Cain, the Lord, the distinction of, of being everything before God, of being the recipient of every gift of God, of being entitled to all honor and every privilege. He feels important in his imagined dignity, 
permits this spirit to pervade his sacrifices and his worships, and thinks that God cannot but favor and accept his offering rather than that of his brother. Meanwhile, the pious Abel goes his way, meekly suffering his brother's contempt. He willingly yields Cain the honor, esteems himself vastly inferior, and beholds no consolation for himself, aside from the pure mercy and goodness of God. He believes in God and hopes for the promised future seed. In such faith he performs his sacrifice as a confession, a, a sign of his gratitude. This illustration is intended by God as solace for his little throng, for the incident is not written for Abel's sake, but for the sake of the humble children of God, whose condition is like that of Abel. God has not forgotten them, though they are haughtily ignored by proud Cain, who regards them as nothing in his presence. God graciously looks upon them and rejects proud Cain with his birthright and offering. Innocent Abel becomes the object of anger and hatred when the word of God lays hold of Cain, revealing God's displeasure, where he had fancied himself worthy and God's unwillingness to regard his offering and devotion as superior to this of his brother and more meritorious. Cain begins bitterly to hate and persecute his brother. He finds no rest until Abel is laid low and cut off from the earth. Now you have the cause of the world's hatred and anger against Christians. Simply this, as John says of Cain, because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. What offense had godly Abel committed against his brother to be so hated? He had even regarded that, that brother as the firstborn, as vastly superior to himself, and, and had done him all honor and loved him as became a brother. He was easily satisfied, desiring simply the grace of God. He prayed for the future seed, that is, for the salvation and happiness of his parents, his brother, and the entire human race. How could Cain be unmerciful and inhuman enough in his frenzy to murder his own flesh and blood? The answer is found in the fact that the devil had filled Cain's heart with pride and vanity over his birthright. He considered himself a man of distinction with every claim upon God's favor and, and sinless, whilst his brother was nothing whatever. Cain's heart is devoid of true brotherly love. He has only contempt for Abel. He cannot endure God's manifest favor toward his brother, will not be moved by the injunction to humble himself and seek God's grace. Anger and envy possess him to the extent that he cannot tolerate his brother alive. In violation of God's commandment and his own conscience, he becomes a murderer and then goes his way as if he had done right. This is what John means when he says that Cain had no other cause for his crime than that his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. And similarly, that obedient daughter of St. Cain, the world, hates the Christians and for no other reason than the latter's love and goodness of heart. 
witness the examples of the holy patriarchs, the prophets, and most of all, Christ himself. What sin against the world did the beloved apostles commit? They desired the injury of none. They went about in extreme poverty and toil, teaching mankind how, through faith in Christ, to be saved from the devil's kingdom and from eternal death. This the world will not hear and suffer. Hence the hue and cry, kill, kill these people, away with them from the earth. Show them no mercy. Why this hostility? Because the apostles sought to relieve the world of its idolatry and damnable doings. Such good works the world could not tolerate. What it desires is nothing but praise and commendation for its own evil doings, expecting from God the impossible endorsement, your deeds are good and, and well-pleasing to me. Pious children of mine are you, just keep on cheerfully killing all who believe and preach my word. In the same way does the world conduct itself today with reference to our gospel. For no other reason are we hated and persecuted than because we have, through God's grace, proclaimed his word that recovered us from the blindness and idolatry in which we were sunken as deeply as the world and because we desire to rescue others. That is the unpardonable sin by which we have incurred the world's irreconcilable anger and its inextinguishable hatred. It cannot permit us to live. We preach no other doctrine than faith in Christ, which our children pray and they themselves confess in words. We differ only in our claim that Christ, having been crucified for us and having shed his blood to redeem us from sin and death, that our salvation is not effected by our own works or holiness or devotion. The fact that we do not regard their faithless worship equal to Christ himself, but teach men to trust in the grace of God and not their own worthiness and to render him gratitude for his grace. This fact is intolerable to the world. It would be well for our adversaries if they would receive such teaching, since it would render them more than ever what they profess to be, our superiors in wisdom, knowledge, and reputation, a claim we are willing to concede but Cain's works are evil, and Abel's are righteous. The world simply cannot tolerate the gospel, and no unity or harmony is ever to be hoped for. The world will not forsake its idolatry nor receive the faith. It would force us to renounce the word of God and praise its Cain-like worship or take death at their hands. That's why John says, marvel not, brethren, if the world hates you. We are halfway through Luther's message, and as you can see by your watch and clock, we've come a long ways in time, and I have to stop right there. So the next time we do Martin Luther, Lord willing, we will finish this excellent, excellent message, uh, spoken in the very heart of the the days of the Reformation, when people were coming out of Rome uh, in droves to find Christ. Works of several other great men of God on this website. Check them out. Their stories, their words. I've got North Korea audios also, many of them. I want you to learn how to pray for this 
this awful situation in North Korea. Many other teachings, books, and another website now called FaulknerTales.com. I think it'd be worth you just to go over there and see what I'm doing. And uh, perhaps you will pray. You can check one of the, the recordings out, but especially pray that God will keep giving me wisdom about this thing and that others who might, might not come to a, a website like this one, where Christ is honored in such a big way, uh, still they might come to that and there they will hear about Jesus also. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. And uh, Lord willing, we get to talk again very, very soon. Bye-bye.